0: Hey there, welcome to episode 24 of the Let's Innovate for Vegas audio program. Today is Friday, August 4th, 2023. I am your host, Dan Hugo, Managing Director of the Innovate for Vegas Foundation, a civic volunteer nonprofit public charity here in Las Vegas and beyond. Today is another solo episode about some of our project work. Uh, Although you're always welcome to come on and discuss innovation here in the greater Vegas area and beyond. So let's get started. So our title, uh, the title of the show says it all, we're making news. Or does it say it all? I'm not sure. So our existing projects cover a reasonable number of sections that we need to do this. Uh, We started off in mid-2022 with uh, a project per month. Some people thought that was too many, like how are we going to finish them? And I said, you don't finish projects. (laughs) This is not homework for school. This is, uh, this is how the world works. You build things, and then you maintain them, and you continue to work on them. If you end-of-life them, that's kind of a big deal. If, it, if the thing you were working on was any good, people are using it. We're not Google. We're not going to end-of-life projects just when they're getting popular. So we were doing a couple of projects uh, every month, and the idea was to build up a few projects that would fit under the Virtual Vegas capstone which was essentially like, how can we make our smart city smarter by pushing more of interaction, engagement, and so on. I I don't want to say the trite, you know, into the cloud, certainly no metaverse, but there are tools and, and methods and, and technologies and so on that make uh, the ability to interact with, you could say a digital twin, I suppose, but it's not quite that. But, of you know, virtual making, making use of these technologies to put the greater Vegas area that is the city of Las Vegas proper and probably most of Clark County. The things that people think of when they say I'm going to Vegas because you're probably not going to the city of Las Vegas. <laughs> so how can we take some of these and and construct as though they were reusable components? Hint. Um, a municipal scale information sharing platform. Yay! So, what's, where can we be begin? Where can we begin? How about with better speaking abilities? So, our world today is being rocked once again by the "move fast and break things" thinking of billionaires who don't spend any time where you are uh, to tell you what to do and how to do it. So, uh, yes, that's cynical and glib, but... Uh, Twitter has been around for a very long time. Uh, It started at Cafe Centro, basically, in South Park near the, uh, the, is it the AT&T Stadium now? I don't even know. Uh, In San Francisco, uh, very near uh, the train station and so on. So uh, I have been to Cafe Centro. It's very cool. So Twitter starts, uh, it makes a big splash at South by Southwest. It's the, the way that you can text message all of your friends. People text about what they're eating a lot. But it became apparent that you could also tweet about things going around, on around you, including news. And so it has become a basically headline machine, right? So so news organizations can post their recent headlines, multi-part tweets about news stories, real-time updates, tweeting news events, courtroom appearances, and so on. And other social media platforms have also become the way that news is uh, disseminated to people. So as I've said in my notes here, social meets news meets social. So there's been a blurring, uh, I would say, such that um, people will first go to Twitter or Facebook or Nextdoor, hopefully not, uh, or other such websites first so that they can be shown what's important to read about by either their algorithmically chosen or boosted friend, their follower following list, or possibly from just some algorithm blindly feeding data. Right? What does trending really mean? Right? So yeah, that's a little bit cynical, but uh, I will point out that I did work at salon.com Back in 2005, they had been public for 10 years at that point. Uh, if you are a Salon fan, I worked there when Joan Walsh was the editor in chief uh, and Betsy Hambricht was the CEO, and we were just rolling out discussions. And that's apropos here because in 2005, uh, and by the way, we had uh, so Salon had acquired the Well uh, website or online community, which was very well known for this community building aspect. Of it, and so the people that were running the well were around. Um, they sat very near cubicles. and so I, I joined salon working on their their brave new idea, which was not appreciated by journalists at the time there, which was to enable they had a letter to the editor component. you could essentially email salon.com and they may publish your email in print media style. So you could comment on a story and in quite the opposite of real time, interact with the story with your own views, right? So you might get one or two letters published to the to the editor. And this is very, you know, back in the day when people were reading print newspaper, which I think some people still do, you know, the, the letters to the editor section would, would have a few printed letters, maybe they were indicative of however many of the paper received. Maybe they were just the most exciting. Maybe they weren't even written by people. Who knows? By, by normal people, right? Maybe they were contrived. Maybe they are summary letters. It's hard to say. So we rolled out a letters feature. They called it the letters feature, which was essentially commenting on stories. And I will tell you that the journalists uh, and professional writers that were writing for Salon at the time were deeply troubled at the notion that some person anywhere – could have what they had to say appear on the same page as what professional writers were writing. And so it caused quite the uh, kerfuffle at the time. Uh, It grew to be interesting. The infrastructure at Salon was very troubling. It was very many years of regime change and homegrown CMS and all that. Um, It's what happens when a uh, a, a media company, a news company uh, is also a software publishing company. so you you're not a software development entity you don't have the the mindset the management the resources and so on so not a great idea but the fact was they were able to experiment very early on with having their readers um, subscribers would would have a mark like a check mark style thing today but subscribers would have a, some sort of a of a indicator in their letters but they actually opened up submission of comments to each article from any reader, uh, moderation was instantly a problem. So that's the way humans are. And now of course robots are even better at it, but it was, uh, it was interesting to be able to try that idea out. Uh, today it could be, ha- had they been using something like WordPress at the time in that era? Um, I think WordPress was, I can't remember when the, what the year was, but it was, it was out WordPress was available. Because I remember saying, uh, my my Jerry Maguire letter to, to the management on my departure, I said, "This is not a software company. You are you're a, you know, a news or a media company. You should not be uh, creating the printing presses that are used to print your product, so to speak. You know, you should you should get the printing press and concentrate on the words, the, the content, if you will. So this is not a new thing that uh, that." The, the platforms that are trying to get their words out are kind of stuck with what they have or they, you know, it's innovation is tricky. They're not really, uh, they're not really so focused all the time on innovating. They're focused on reporting their research and, and the sardonic wit, uh, in me wants to, <laughs> wants to say they're looking for, you know, which party is going to spend the most money on, uh, how to, how to restrict news reporting. But, the fact is the news as a, as a rule is not a place of innovation. It's not a place where you're going to find cutting edge ideas. You're going to find, well, what I'll essentially say is print media put on a webpage, right? That's, that's what it is essentially. And so social networks came along and said, Oh, we'll help you spread your news articles with open graph and with the timeline and the wall, uh, News feed, you know, whichever expression fits what you're doing. Uh, we'll let people discuss on Reddit. Let uh, is, is the operative word there. And rules in, are in place uh, for, for publishing news that, uh, you know, fair use and so on. So the And actually Open Graph makes it interesting. If a particular website will support with um, what you might call a deck or lead, teaser, maybe if they take that legacy component of print media and they just stick it in the open graph description, you know, now you're, you're not giving the entire story away. You're literally presenting the part of the print version of a story that you would print anyway, as a lead in, uh, or a deck or a teaser to, to have someone say, Oh, I want to read that. Right. So they're really, uh, making use of that legacy feature. Now it actually makes sense. That's, it's not, unreasonable to offer a, an appealing summary. Although, of course, uh, sensationalism creeps in when you're competing for eyeballs and clicks. So you end up with a fabulous uh, opening descriptive text that gets shared around on social media. But then you add to it the fact that people can uh, embellish with their own commentary, which I want to do as well. And you end up with uh, yet more sensationalism or more skewing. You certainly get cherry picking and motivated reasoning. So there's all sorts of Up and downsides. And the problem with social media is being that it is a separate, completely separate entity from any news reporting, you are almost given a license to not be so accurate, to not be so thoughtful, certainly not to uh, constrain any sort of uh, vitriol or worse. Pejoratives reign. The need for moderation far escapes the ability for people to perform moderation. So. Things have gone where they have gone, and that's sort of a fact of life now. So uh, we can look at community or crowdsourced news. There's a website. uh, I want to say AOL started it, owned it, bought it, sold it. Uh, I should look, but I I do know that there's a patch for the Las Vegas area. So patch was an attempt at paying local journalists. There are various open journalism projects, and... They are often driven by journalists and by people who are high-minded, and that's not a problem at all. So people who want to do the work of reporting and research and credibility and, you know, follow-ups and so on, not hit pieces, but actual reporting. Um, one or two, I think, are former salon reporters, in fact. So so these are good things. Um, the problem, though, is that just like salon, these are not technology efforts. They are... Um, they're the fourth estate. They are yeah. they are an essential, constitutionally protected uh, uh, component of our society that we should enable and integrate. Uh, the The individuals may be separate. I know some reporters over the years have been fairly um, explicitly silent on their political leanings. They they want to go right at the middle. Others will be very blatant about announcing so that their biases if if they display them wantonly can be attributed to their you know political leaning. so that's these are these are different opinions uh, transparency reigns right so if you can just say this is what it is and this is how i operate and people know that great so now but you know unfortunately our social media has crept in and turned it into likes and views and shares and monetization and and um, influence and getting ratioed and all that so so it, it gets to be tricky business. And then when news, when news makes an appearance on social media platforms, you know, when there's an, there's a CNN an ABC, uh, a, uh, you know, take your choice, uh, channel on, you know, YouTube or, or, uh, Twitch or rumble or locals, uh, or any of the others. Right. So now you're, you're kind of entering this social media fray. Are you taken seriously? Are you, um, are you ignored? Are you you know? Are you elevated? Are you squashed? Are you? Uh, are people taking clips and putting them out of context and referring to things? So it's it's a tricky business all the way around. And throw in on top of all this the algorithms that determine what people actually consume. Um, that's the smarter people with with much more research in this area have said and and written far more insightful things than I will present here. But essentially, how algorithms can skew public opinion, manipulate public opinion. You know, there, there's a lot of research there. Uh, no need to go into that here. But suffice to say, it's something that should be on your mind when you're looking at how you're consuming what and how you're making decisions about the news and, and other information you retrieve and receive. Uh, how do you consume it? And what do you do with it? Where is it coming from? So, So what are we doing then? We're making news, of course. So we have our Uh, open data capture platform, which is an attempt to connect real people to the open data data sets that the city of Las Vegas and greater Vegas by extension have at their disposal. So today there's uh, something as simple as the administrative boundaries of each of the cities in Clark County, the ward boundaries within the city of Las Vegas. So which, which, uh, representative, uh, on the city council represents you. So, which ward are you in, right? So, this, these are pieces of data that are published in the GeoCommons uh, data set. There's an entire set of business license um, data with locations. So, you can see on a map where businesses are in Greater Vegas. And it's based on business license filings uh, outside of the city of Las Vegas. So, you know, Southern Nevada. Last time I looked, it was 115,000 ish, give or take. So you can plot all those on a map and you can see just visually no analysis required beyond just that visual inspection. You can actually see like, hmm, why are there so many business licenses in this area? Like highly dense with little blue dots. They use ArcGIS map visualizations, which are very boring, blue dots for everything. But why are there so many blue dots here? And why are there, why are there fewer dots and more space between them over here those are not answers, those are questions, right? So that leads to discussion, that leads to questions. Like, so what is what is lacking here? Is it geographical? Is, it, is this where the mountains are? Or is it where there's less access to water? Does the internet stop so people don't have access to connectivity and communication? So who knows, right? These are, these are where questions can begin. So that data is already here. And do people make use of it? That's a great question. It's, uh, it exists, and in fact, fun fact, Code for Vegas... Began life uh, as part of Code for America to build, bolster the tools and techniques of the open data data sets that were sort of sort of taking shape, if you will, back in uh, say 2014-ish. the the early 2010s, Code for Vegas, Code for America, City of Las Vegas, building open data data sets, and so open data is a potent way of sharing and maintaining, uh, data and information, open data, right? So information comes from data. And if you allow people, if you enable people to have access to this data, then they can build, uh, analytics. They can build visualizations. They can build, uh, interfaces that are informative, especially to visitors. They can perform language translations. They can, uh, integrate different pieces of data together. I've often said that, um, uh, venues and bus routes, public transit routes, should be much more easily merged together so that people getting around our city as visitors could uh, take advantage of our public transit system. Uh, although I would argue the public transit system takes advantage of them, but that's a different discussion. So the uh, the notion of, of an including people on the ground, the people that live here, with this open data capture, well, that's right there in the name, capture, is is on the table which says you live here you probably see a troubling intersection in your in your pedestrian travels or maybe you're a bicyclist and you see troubling bike lanes you see uh trees that are overgrown you see possibly w- places where uh dangerous uh detritus uh, uh, gathers right so maybe there's a a tendency for people to throw bottles and, and leave broken glass or Or stones or rocks or other uh, dangerous items in bike lanes that you might not see at night. Um, Sure, you should have a headlight, but bottom line, you should also not die when you're riding your bicycle. I myself tend to be a pedestrian. I went car free or carefree. So the E is optional. About seven years ago now, I'm much happier in Greater Vegas not having to deal with my car alarm, my Cadillac converter getting stolen, my car getting stolen. Everything in my car getting stolen, uh, not to mention paid parking and all that. So, so I myself make uh, maximal or take maximal advantage, make maximal use of public transit in the greater Vegas area. So integrating, uh, integrating the, the, the maps and stuff, that kind of comes to mind easily. But then when you're a pedestrian, you start to see where, man, this intersection here, people are almost hitting me all the time. I have some of those. Uh, where do I go to report that? I don't know. Do I call the police? They're not going to do anything. There's no crime. Uh, is it a statistic yet? No, I haven't gotten hit by a car yet. I mean, knock on some wood here somewhere. So is it pre-crime? Not really, but it is something to be aware of. Uh, there was, I'm not sure what the status of it is, but RTC, the Regional Transit Commission, which also runs our public transit system, runs a lot of other stuff for roads and transportation. That's right there in the name Regional Transportation. Did I say transit? I always do. Regional Transportation Commission. They were doing a four-intersection study in Henderson, Nevada for unsafe intersection analysis, right? I don't know how they selected the four. I don't know what kind of data they're capturing, if they still are. Who knows? Um, Why not enable pedestrians, either full-time like myself, part-time, maybe students that are walking to school of any age, right? They still count. (laughs) The children are our future, after all. So why not say, hey, this intersection especially if there's no crossing guards, which there are crossing guards around where I walk sometimes, which is nice. They are, they're more than happy to help me out crossing the street, which is always nice. I am getting older. But if you enable people to say, hey, this intersection is troubling, you don't have to wait until people get hit or killed to put that marker on the map. You can actually say, hey, we're getting a lot of reports around here. You can just look at those same blue dots I was referring to earlier. Like, what is it about this intersection that is leading to so many people... Declaring it unsafe—it doesn't have to be an intersection either. I've I've been in situations with, um, especially T, which is still a T intersection, where somebody doesn't really look. They're coming off a main road into a into a neighborhood, say, so they just go, and you're, me, I'm me, crossing. I'm a pedestrian. I'm just walking along. Uh, The person traveling at a high rate of speed on a on a larger thoroughfare is doesn't slow down, doesn't stop, of course, and makes a left turn, especially, um, then they look to see if there's someone <laughs> crossing the the street the perpendicular, right? So that has happened to me countless times. I try to avoid those streets at this point because it's not worth it. Uh, but occasionally, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And people here in where in the neighborhoods where I find myself walking will often begin their turn looking at the car traffic and interrupt their turn if I'm lucky, and they notice the human traffic, right? So marking those places where perhaps better lighting, better street lighting, if it's dusk and they can't see people clearly, Um, markings, stop signs, who knows? Traffic control signals, right? Those are expensive, but are they worth knowing that people could have a safer time if you take action ahead of time? I think so. Same with the bikes, right? So if you can report places, it doesn't have to be permanent, Clearly, if I mark an unsafe intersection, I make that open data so that people can have access to it in standard ways to make applications, visualizations, and analysis of. If I put that up there and it changes, we should update that data. Two things happen at that point. One, you can show that problems have been addressed. Two, you can show if problems really were addressed. So if you mark unsafe pedestrian places, intersections or otherwise, then you show that that changes were made, and you can show a decrease in incidents, great. So you associate a fix, an issue address with a collection of data. And then over time, you might find that, wait, we're seeing additional risk again here. We're seeing people mark it as an unsafe place again. What happened? And by being transparent about that, nobody has to be surprised when, uh, when somebody gets hit. There's an intersection right outside where I live. and I I travel through this intersection um, 90% of the time when I'm beginning a walk, right? That's that's why most car accidents are within five miles of home because you spend most of your time coming to or leaving your home. So you're in that five mile radius a lot. So there's an intersection uh, very near where I live. Uh, Hasn't happened lately. A couple months ago, I think was the last time uh, a kid on a skateboard hit by a car, luckily didn't even have to go to the hospital, so got off lightly. Is that reported on a map somewhere? I don't know, probably. The Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department does publish their data as open data, so incidents and other uh, stats are published in the same scheme, different place but on ArcGIS, so that part's good. So what we could actually do is merge those data together. You could look at incidents there with other data from other geocommons places. You can merge those together and say, oh, wait, why are we seeing some some intersection of data that we can look at? So if we enable normal people to contribute to the open data data sets and we maintain them and we make that part of reporting, right now a news story doesn't have to refer to an intersection in north or west side or you know, they can actually have a map marker, they can show historical data, they can show what's going on in the past, in the present, and then over time. So if you want to look back you don't have to spend 90% of your written word news article trying to describe the historical significance of an unsafe intersection. You can actually say, here's a bunch of data visualized on a map, a, a map with a time slider, right? These are all standard things. They exist already. So you can say here, look at the evolution of safety reports about a particular intersection, about a particular stretch of road, uh, something on the strip, et cetera. So yeah, open data capture is one of our projects and, uh, <laughs> I think we're already like 25 minutes in. So hopefully you're comfortable right now. If you're on a treadmill, maybe, uh, maybe enter a a flat area so you can, uh, stick with me. So, uh, so we have open data capture will form a fundamental component of this, being able to interact, interoperate with these open data systems in the greater Vegas area, maybe elsewhere as well. Uh, making news a matter of open data opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, we have our smart social platform, <clears throat> which is very very early days, building on existing technologies rather than building silos, making use of open standards. so the calendar is the first and my favorite part of it. Let me get a quick swig here um it's something It's something that has been indicated in by others as a missing piece of our entrepreneurial ecosystem, the ability to discover what's happening and use standard tools like calendars to communicate these things when they're happening, where they're happening. So you don't run into the, the, uh, uh, like, oh, I didn't even know about that until today. I didn't know about that until yesterday. (laughs) Or it was yesterday. Um, This happens all the time. Uh, Who to talk to, who to discover uh, from when it comes to an event coming up on Thursday or a thing you really should have been here last week. Like, I have no, where am I supposed to figure this out? Oh, you just have to check LinkedIn and Facebook and and, uh, Eventbrite and Meetup and Discord, any number of Discords that host event information, and the list goes on. So what you end up with is a a tremendous load you're placing on interested and possibly interesting people who might want to attend your, your event or might want to know about what you have going on or what, you know, an event or a class or a presentation or a food truck gathering, whatever it is, whatever's going on here in greater Vegas, our smart city makes it very difficult to know the details. And so uh, some people have created, and I, and I actually just finished another show, which is why my, my voice is probably fading a little bit, um, the Cafe Genius Impresarios audio program. I just did another solo episode there. Solo episodes are fun because I don't have to wait on guests never responding, so... Do people listen? Not sure, uh, but it is a form of receipt for later, so that that works. So uh, if you want to build calendars and you and we, and I was just talking about this, you will satisfy a need that was identified in the Mo Collins paper that was published in April, go ed sponsored study into our entrepreneurial ecosystem around the state, uh, particular to focus on southern Nevada and northern Washa Northwest. Uh calendar, a lack of a social calendar and a lack of communication between siloed communities makes things difficult. You can read the paper if you want. I won't even link to it because you won't click on it here. But if you come across it in your travels, Um yeah, calendars matter. And what some people have tried to do, I, I made reference to the meetups and eventbrites and the LinkedIn's, they will build an insulated calendar scheme so that you can you can add it to your calendar. You're just adding one vCalendar entry to your calendar that makes the where you got the calendar from the host <clears throat> or organizer. This happens with WordPress-based calendar sites especially. So they'll create a like a community calendar site. Just come here and publish your event here. So they want you to go and add your event to their platform. So meetup and eventbrite are very similar, right? So you go and you say, okay, the event title, date location, details, and you can maintain a, a list of people who are going to attend. And so RSVPs are in this system and so on. So now, oh, in order to get everyone, I have to publish this on LinkedIn and Meetup and Eventbrite and Facebook and Slack. Oh, two, oh, five Slack channels and also uh, four Discord channels. And who knows? There's more. <laughs> and then, oh, I got to change. the. Oh, now I got to go visit all those websites and update the calendars. And now, oh, how many people are coming? Oh, I have a 1,000 RSVPs. Oh, wait a minute. 300 of these are duplicates from Eventbrite and Meetup alone. And then, you know, so the list goes on. So the the onus of managing and maintaining these insulated calendars is put on you uh, because the motivation of these platforms is to have people visit them. If you are curious to know how that works, you can ask yourself, if there are advertisements on the web pages, or if there's a fee paid by the organizers to use the tools, right? They want you to depend on them. Uh, This is not a conspiracy theory. This is business. So I'm not saying that they are bad actors, but what I am saying is you have to be clear that you are handing over ownership of your event to a site that is trying to capitalize on it. And so what will typically happen is they will be the organizer in, in calendar speak. And so they take over owning, quote unquote, owning the event for the purpose of the calendar server, um, which they probably aren't running or if they are, it's not interoperating. So take a meetup, for example, if you add to my calendar, you will get a, um, an opportunity to, to, uh, add a V calendar entry to your local calendar. And that there's there's more going on here, but you know, if you add it to your Yahoo, your Google, your Outlook calendar, your email client will say, Okay, put this in my in my calendar, which tells the service calendar server to add it to the you know, its database of what your calendar looks like. So you've added it to your calendar and yay, you're done. But that does not automatically make that calendar entry updated. So my Google Calendar Server will not immediately contact the meetup server for this one event. You have to actually subscribe to the event, which is a different mechanism. So that's why when uh, when you're invited to an event, there, uh, your calendar server will add you via email, and that server can talk to the origin server. So you'll often see calendar invitations that are updated when there's a change and maybe you'll get an email notification but there's an integration between the organizer the uh the or, the owner of the event uh their interactions with the event or with the entire calendar and your notifications and interactions with those notifications are all they've all been around for decades so this already works so making use of something as simple <laughs> And that's only if you haven't read the dozen RFCs about this request for comment. That's how the internet's uh, assembled. So if you've never delved into how calendars could work, you are left thinking, oh, I just have to add this event. Oh, it changed. It got canceled. Oh, to my calendar. I show on my calendar whenever I hear that I show on my calendar that it's this like, well, because you may as well take a picture of the calendar entry. Uh, you're not using the technology behind it, which is all about synchronizing calendars and sharing updates. You know, if I want to change the time, if I want to cancel, there is a specific status field in the vCalendar object that will change from confirmed to tentative to canceled, etc. Right? So there's no there's no wondering why my calendar entry is different from yours. It's because you made your own calendar entry, and if you add to calendar from a site that has copied my event onto their website, there are several network, create tech, uh, they're horrible. If they get the information wrong, they have completely forked. That's the word. They have forked their notion of my event onto their platform. They've stuck a couple of advertisements around it. And now they are with reckless abandon telling people possibly incorrect information. Certainly information is not synchronized with, uh, with the event that they have, uh, mirrored forked, forked is the better word, um, mirroring an event would actually be better because that implies that they're going to mirror updates to the event. But if you completely fork the event, you've separated it from the organizer calendar, you've you've, uh, created a new origin for it in your own server and nothing works from that. And you can link to uh, the source material and everything, but the mechanism exists to make this work. And so this is just one example where it is possible to integrate local platforms that are focused on local news and communication with technologies that have been proven over decades. They do work. And by the way, if you have a phone in your pocket right now or on your desk or by your bed or wherever it is, and you have a calendar application on it, there's a 99.9% chance that it already works with this infrastructure because calendar tools use iCalendar streams and CalDAV servers, and they know how to subscribe to calendars and interoperate with their individual servers, and the servers know how to talk to each other. So all these already work. So that's old, old but good. And then we throw in some new stuff: ActivityPub, for example, Schema.org markup, uh, RSS feeds are kind of in the middle. I consume RSS feeds a lot. Uh, I would like to see them be. Not deprecated, but uh, there are better better ways of handling rich content. The extensibility scheme kind of got a little bit messy. If you just look at the Apple, granted, Adam Curry did mix with Apple really early, and Apple kind of ran with it. But Apple added a bunch of stuff to RSS feeds that may or may not be useful outside of the Apple, uh, what is it called? Uh, iStore, whatever it is. However, the uh, iTunes however the iTunes podcast distribution scheme works with their RSS feeds may or may not apply to others. So there's a whole bunch of um, you know, interoperability weirdness, and the way content is represented is kind of broken. But the fact is, RSS hmm, kind of works. It kind of works, uh, necessary but not sufficient. I think there are some better ways to do it. But bottom line, there are actual ways to publish things so that people can consume them in useful ways, including news. Including opinions, so the Smart Social Project leans into that heavily, um, as well. And I'll, this will be the last project I'll refer to, but it's the My Vegas Project, which we are renaming to My Muni. Why? Because we're going to reach out beyond Las Vegas for people to collaborate on this. So your smart city, however smart it might be at whatever time, needs a human interface, just like any web service needs a web page around it, some sort of a user experience. So left to chance, most cities have a ridiculously bad and poorly thought-out, silly application. Uh, here it's called Go Vegas. Go to your favorite app store, Go Vegas, and it's um, I think it's been on there for ten years, and nobody nobody really uses it. I've tried it. I have it on my phone, my Android device. Um, I only use it to show why a city should not be in charge of this. Um, It's a checkmark project, but if you can actually enable people to access their own communities with modern tools using existing protocols, right? So you don't have to ditch email and Caldave. They do work, but nobody wants to play with a a Usenet news server. Nobody's using NNTP, even though it already decentralizes distribution of news. Okay, so email, news, uh, CalDave. Even RSS, Uh, there are some technologies that have been around for decades that are already interoperable. They already work. Then you add on some things like ActivityPub, um, some streaming protocols, RTSP? You can We can actually have, and and obviously communications like um, now MLS is going to take over interoperable encrypted, end-to-end encrypted communications. So you start to see where people could communicate. You can develop sort of a chat or direct engagement with privacy. You can have uh, microblogs that are not tied to one billionaire or another and their arguments. You can share information in interoperable ways. You can consume inter- information with things like RSS. Fun fact, Mastodon automatically publishes an RSS feed for every account. So you can you can read their account even if you never want to touch Mastodon. You just type in a or copy-paste a, their Mastodon server URL for their username with RSS on the end, and boom, you're up and running. So anybody could, could um, pull data from a social network like that, uh, not have to pay exorbitant API fees, and actually construct merged information, maybe put it on a map, right, using open data. Possibilities start to really come together. So by making news a social matter, you encourage people to talk effectively and usefully, maybe functionally, about what's happening and share information about it. Not only about it today, but where what happened and what happens when people know about it. I have a photo of a of a real intersection in uh, Centennial Hills in the Las Vegas proper, Las Vegas city, of Las Vegas. It's been like this for ten years. It is uh, it is it checks all the boxes. There's a there's an ADA ramp if you need to go up and down the ramp, so you don't have to negotiate the the curb. Uh, it is uh, the intersection itself is the last street before or on the you know it's on the west side of the ninety five freeway. So the freeway is the next stop or the second to next stop, depending on which direction. so you're you're getting high speed traffic, high density traffic, it's a thoroughfare. ADA compliant ramp has a decorative landscaping application. That, makes, uh, that has a wall, like a little, a wall, quote-unquote wall, some bricks in it, like a wall to, between the sidewalk and the landscaping, which is these very, very hard rocks, almost like lava rocks, if you've ever seen those. But they're, they're like cinder rocks, but they're very hard. If you are completely ambulatory, it's still a challenge to walk on these rocks. So if you need that ramp, you are not getting to that button which is several feet in from that little brick uh, wall. I say wall, it's like, you know, it's a couple inches tall, but those are critical inches. There's no way if you're a cane walker, uh, any sort of difficulty moving around, much less if you're in a, a wheelchair or similar, or if you're blind, if you any vision impairment, how are you supposed to know about this thing and negotiate this this uh, minefield of, uh, of of twisted ankles to get to the crosswalk button, right? Right. So I have a picture of this and I show it to people all the time and no one actually is going to take any action because I can show this picture to someone and they'll say, Hey, that's, that's annoying. That's, that's very clearly not thought out, but there's no structure to how that's reported. Now the city of Las Vegas is supposed to implement a C click fix deployment, which is a commercial service in some other place. Uh, Clark County already has that. So you take a picture, you see it, you click So you go to the website and you file a bug report and somebody might acknowledge it like, hey, yeah, we'll fix that sometime. Because of the way that's reported, uh, it's basically one person reporting one issue. A good way to do it would be to plot that stuff on maps and to see how this uh, reporting aggregates over time. And you could actually see when things are still a problem. I had this problem with a beehive several years ago. Um, Didn't know who to report it to. There's a beehive here. Who do I tell? How do I report this? Nobody cares about a beehive. Oh, except it was extremely aggressive bees in our typical aggressive bee season. I think July was it. And then uh, it was directly across the street from an elementary school. Still not interested? So how do I report these things? Do I tweet about it? Actually, I did. Is anybody going to see it? Probably not. Not very exciting. Not salacious. So it doesn't get any attention. But if I live in the community, if my child goes to that school, then maybe I do want to know those things. And I'd really want to know if it gets fixed and I really wanna know if that beehive comes back. So there's all kinds of opportunities for a MyMuni uh, wrapper around these open data data sets and around the smart social tools to make use of uh, proven uh, older technologies and protocols and the new stuff mixed all together. So these are just three of the components. There are a few other things we can add to the mix, but this is how we can build a social awareness platform, if you will, to talk about news and to integrate it in, I'd even talk about the maps and the timelines, right? Like I want to see more things on maps. I want to see more timeline correlations, right? How do things change over time? When I see a news story, I don't want to have to read a familiar headline and then try to figure out what they're talking about by clicking through other articles that may or may not be backlinked, right? Like if there's a, if there's a news story going on and I see CNN do this sometimes, uh, Collect the information together in a way that I can just find all. Oh, don't don't spend ninety percent of your article giving the backstory. Just keep adding to the story, right? Uh, make sure that you're linking to reference information. If there's a person mentioned, uh, if there's a, a a person of consequence, right? A per, not just a casual uh, you know person on the street. But if there's a person that's the subject of the story, and there are other related stories. Provide cross links and reference information so that people can find credible um, information about what's happening in the useful ways. Not leave it to chance that they might go figure out what you mean by "woman hit by car on Tuesday" uh, was doing something else on Monday. You know, like these are very familiar references that uh, do not take any advantage. You know they're relying on print media style. They don't take advantage maximally of all of the various technology we have to um, to connect information, to give context, and so on. And we haven't even touched on the presence of AI now. AI has come on strong. We'll probably see more article content written by AI, but what would be more interesting is a summary per news story, for example. So let us look back to a very dark time, The uh, the person with a collection of firearms at the mandalay bay october 1st uh there were various news stories and there continue to be various news stories at this point if someone says uh october 1st shooter mandalay bay shooter uh etc they're making a familiar reference you have to know what that is and then you click into the article and you'll get some backstory and maybe you'll get some links but there's an entire collection of information timelines back you know like um supporting reference information about historical and policies at the hotel, or at the resort, um, how they've changed. There's all sorts of interconnected information that is left to chance. And so it becomes a, familiar, uh, a, a question of familiarity, and then people lose interest because it becomes a real chore to figure out what's going on. So the idea is to start making maximal use of technology, and at the same time, and we're getting to the end, I promise, At the same time, enable experimentation so that rather than saying, well, Facebook lets you, let is a bad word, lets you now read news in chronological order instead of the way they decide to share it with you. Hmm. Okay. So the the notion of letting people do things is a barrier to improving the way people do things uh, because they decide based on business sense, probably rather than functionality uh if i if i had a story about beehives across from elementary schools but it was only interested to the couple hundred parents with children that go to that school eh, that doesn't generate enough ad revenue so let's not show that to everybody but it's still very important to those people so who's deciding those things who moderates what that's a whole other problem uh because people are generally awful right So moderation, summarization, classification, these are all things that computers do. And you can actually keep informed without wondering, wow, how come I didn't see that article? Well, because it's not generating enough ad revenue. Hmm. So focusing on the people that are part of the story because it affects them uh, is important. And it's something that a community should look at, not a global monolithic corporate entity that is focused on shareholder value over community values. So that's that's basically the idea, is to take some of what we're working on, connect it together, enable a platform that enables a community, a municipality. Uh, city of Las Vegas is uh, five and a half million people or so. Sorry, five and a half million. It's about 550, 577,000, I think, comes to mind, people in the city proper. Southern Nevada is something like 2.3, 2.5 million. Yeah, you know, so it's it's a nice uh, collection of folks. They should be able to figure out what's going on in useful ways. And other people here should be able to do creative things with those visualizations and language translations. Hey, guess what? Not everybody here speaks English and Spanish. A lot of people here from other places. It'd be cool if they could figure out what's going on when they're here. Uh, and who to talk to if they want to know why that beehive is by their friend's home that they were visiting. Because they're from another country and they don't know about these things. Uh, I mean, they know about bees probably, but anyway. So how do we become a really smart city, a destination city for 40 million or so people every year from faraway places using old school thinking and print style technologies in digital form? Well, we can just keep doing that. Why bother? Uh, So... Or we can do what we're trying to do. So we're going to reach out beyond Nevada. We're going to because other places also have similar needs. Uh, we are not unique in so th- in these ways. So we're going to push for our current projects. I've mentioned so the open data capture platform, the My Vegas becoming My Muni, and there's a sister project to that, Welcome, which will probably feel a little bit more Vegasy, but it's still the same notion, which is um, presenting information to people in useful ways and then uh our smart social platform which should apply to anywhere i would like to see open transit be integrated in here so that you, when you're visiting you can get news about how does construction impact my transit route right how does when is a route change going to appear shouldn't that just automatically appear in my calendar rather than reading about it on a twitter <laughs> right so these are these are all integration possibilities that just have to be done they're not like uh They're not alien technologies, although we could probably get some of that going, too, if we get Area 51 involved. So can we integrate the things that we're working on, the things that other people are working on, existing legacy protocols and methodologies, present use tools and applications, future looking integrations? Can we take all that and make a truly smart city that knows what's happening and how to communicate it and how to how to feed back into it? So that's the big plan. So we're going to make news by remaking news. How about that? And we're going to reach out to people to participate beyond Nevada because I think this is an example of a project that, while it may be a matter of innovating for Vegas, it's actually a matter of uh, starting here and then seeing where what we're working on could be exposed to other people, especially if we can get 40 million people or so. That's obviously 100%. I'm not going for that. But if we we have an opportunity to reach uh, 40 million people with some open source software – uh, you never know. Open source. I think it's really starting to catch on. I know Linux is is finally getting somewhere. <laughs> uh, I actually, I do refer to this frequently. Not every story is going to be like Linux. Although you have to admit, uh, Linus Torvalds did. He published. I think it was in 1993. He published on you on a Minix Usenet new, yeah, use news group that he was working on a Minix compatible ish open source kernel project for the intel 386 and if anybody wanted to check it out join in and here we are uh uh what 30 years later look big things can happen when you let other people collaborate so there you go uh we'll see if we can make news um news fun again make it useful again and enable some way for people in the greater vegas area to discover things without having to know the two right people who will take the time to do things that is completely unnatural to them like networking or sharing information that isn't sh- alike on LinkedIn. Uh, so we have a lot of uh, modernity to unleash on this locality and hopefully what we do and learn here will help others elsewhere, either through collaboration or by example. And hopefully when people come here and they check out some of the stuff, they go back home and they'll say, I wish we had this where I live. And that's true of all of our projects, by the way. And then, um, you know, that's how it begins. Thanks for listening, as always. If you would like to be a guest on the show, don't worry. We got you. Uh, my, my episodes, I think, are more interesting with guests. They usually have more to say than I do, which is a big help. If you're running on a treadmill right now, you're, uh, hopefully you're in your cool-down period. And uh, I thank you for listening either way. I thank you for your support. And don't forget, the International Space Apps Challenge, as I'm speaking today on August 4th, is two months away. It's October 7th and 8th, uh, all around the world. It is the largest simultaneous hackathon on the planet driven by NASA and its partners and enabled by local leads like myself. I am the NASA designated Las, Las Vegas lead for the local ISAC 2023 challenge. And so take part, join in. Uh, we have a link on our website, innovateforvegas.org to the signups and, We have our Discord server, which is also linked on our website. There's all kinds of interconnectivity. And you know what? We need a better way of sharing this information with our communities than Twitter. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.